0: You may be seated. I want to invite your attention this morning the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna look at a man named Moses, a man of faith. If you have been with us over recent weeks and you're a regular attender or viewer on live stream, you know that we're going through a series called Men of Faith. Now, not all of those were men of faith by comparison, some by contrast. We studied the men of Babel, and certainly we don't want to be like them because their goal was we want to build a name for us. That's faith and faith. We're great. We can believe, believe in yourself. That's today's mantra. You just got to believe in yourself. Well, you can do that, but at the end of the day, it's dust. Gathering dust is going to go back to dust. The Bible says the men of Babel, they decided they wanted to build a name for themselves, and we remembered them, not for their greatness but for their godlessness. We studied Samson, a man who'd been given great opportunity, but he blew it because he loved to use the power he had for his own sensual and selfish purposes. Many people today have been given great gifts and abilities, but they're on the sidelines when it comes to doing great things because they've fallen in love with things that allure their flesh, and they refuse to listen to God that would draw their spirit. We last week looked at a man named Abraham who was a remarkable man, an Iraqi who wound up being father of the Jews. The Bible says the reason it is he never was content to live in a city here. He always lived in a tent. He said, this world's not my home. And really what he was saying is I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And he's there now, he's found it and he's home and he finally got that place where God's tabernacling with him so that he and God are together forevermore. This morning we're going to talk about Moses, and Moses is really a story of choices. You know life is filled with choices, and we each make them every day. Some lead us to good things, some lead us to just mediocre, and some tragically we've made in life. We say, boy, I wish I could do that again. I've always been fascinated by those choices that somebody made. They discovered something really by accident. I remember reading the story, 1953, there's a small company out in California that was looking for A solvent. Uh, to help with rust corrosion and a solvent to use in the aerospace industry. And they were working with water displacement to find that right solution. And they tried 35, 36 different formulas, 37, 38, 39, finally the 40th formula. They got the right solution to use for water displacement. And Today, averages say you have two or three of those bottles in your house. It's called WD, Water Displacement 40. (laughs) Aren't you glad they just couldn't find the right solvent to wash away rust? What will we do, men, without duct tape and WD-40? I don't know. Thank goodness. I found it interesting, 1920, Boston Red Sox sold a pretty good ball player named Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, in 10 of the next 12 seasons, when he was sold to the Yankees, 10 of the next 12 seasons, He singularly hit more home runs than all of the Red Sox. On the Yankees, he hit more home runs in 10 of the next 12 seasons than the entire team he had left. As you know, in 1918, there was something developed called the Bambino Curse. The Red Sox didn't win a single ball game until 2000, World Series until 2004, when they said the Bambino Curse was broken. I wonder if the management ever regretted more than daily that they'd sold Babe Ruth. I think about two young men, Joe Shuster and Jerry Siegel. 1938, they got a good offer. They've been writing about a comic book character, and they've been told by men, I'll give you $130 for that comic book character. Schuster and Siegel, Siegel thought, well, that's a really good deal, get $130 for a character. And so they sold the rights, all the rights, the complete rights to a cartoon character named Superman. Yeah, they said, oh, too, they live to regret it some of you with white hair remember 1955 a man named Sam Phillips had an RCA had a recording studio and RCA Victor heard that he had a fresh young singer a truck driver by background but boy he could really sing and he had a little extra move that they couldn't put on TV because it's vulgar <laughs> boy have we come a long way and so Sam Phillips got a deal to sell to RCA Victor all the rights a young singer named Elvis, and he forfeited billions and billions of dollars in what might have been. Choices are always important. Sometimes choices are, are, are not that life-changing, and sometimes we look back and say, "Boy, if only I had. Moses was a man who was confronted with a choice. In the life of Moses, there were two great choices made before he ever got to make a choice. The first choice was two Hebrew midwife, two uh, uh, Egyptian midwives who said, "We will not honor the, the dictates of Pharaoh who said, "You kill every male baby born because those Jews are taking, those Hebrews are taking over our land. There's too many of them." So forced abortion was entered and every Egyptian midwife was to kill every Jewish male. but two midwives said, "We're just not going to do that." We, we just can't bring ourselves to do that, and so two he, two Egyptian midwives did not do what the government said. Can you imagine rejecting and rebelling against your government? Uh, I knew it'd shock you. And, and then there was two parents, Amram and Jacobbed, and when they got their little baby boy. Scripture says he was an unusual, the the emphasis is he had an unusual appearance about him. Now, I don't think he had a glow, and I don't think he had a halo. But they knew the time of the end of the bondage was near. And they looked at this baby, and somehow God let them know this is no ordinary baby. And so the midwives didn't kill him, and Jochebed and Miriam decided, we'll hide him. Have you ever tried to hide a newborn at 2 in the morning when they're crying, and they want something to eat? And you're under a mark of death? The miracle is for three months they hid him and then they said we gotta get rid of him so they did the remarkable thing. They put him right in front of Pharaoh's family. (laughs) If you're gonna hide somebody, might as well make it really obvious, right? And they put him in a little bitty ark, a small little basket pitched with tar and shoved him right out in the Nile where Pharaoh's daughter was coming to bathe and she saw him and had mercy on him and loved him and reared him as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Had it not been for those midwives doing what they did, we never would have the story of Moses. And had his mother, Jacobed, and sister Miriam not done what they did, we never would have heard of Moses. But because of two people making a very strategic decision at the time, may not have even seemed that significant. Five books of the Bible are now penned by a man that was saved out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. Their decision was highly courageous. There was high risk with their faith. In fact, Jochebed could have said, listen, and this is today's... You tell me if this is not what you hear today when people say, well, we've got to do something. And here's what we say. Well, well, you know, if we're discovered hiding, him, they'll kill our whole family. We, got, we have to comply. They'd kill mama and daddy and children and, and Moses, and we'd just be dead. That's all. We, we, we don't have a choice. You heard that, haven't you? We've heard people say, you know, really, if the boy had lived... Many of mamas determined abortion is better because if my boy lived, he'd just be poor and he wouldn't amount to anything. How can you say that? Are you God? See, it had been easy for Jochebed to say, my boy, if he was born, just be another one of those Hebrew slaves, a lash to his back, spend all day in the sun working, die early and young and have no benefits, no blessing, no family. I'm really doing him a favor taking his life at birth. She could have said that. We'd never had the first five books of the Bible or the giver of the law. If she had, she could have said, Well, you know, we're just, we got to do what the government says, and the government says, You got to abort, and we have to obey the government. R- right, right? That's today's jargon. It was not the jargon of Jochebed, praise God. You see, Moses grew up with all the privileges of Egypt. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about the choice he made, but you've got to first realize the choice was not as clear as, well, I'm going to move from this house to this house. I, I think I'll move from this neighborhood over to this neighborhood or this city. I think we were going to pack up our moving van and we're going to move down by the coast or we're going to move up in the mountains or we're going to move to a different, larger vicinity or we're moving to a small town. That wasn't the choice. He's the son of Pharaoh. Now, at that time, Egypt was a superpower and the only superpower, it was the mega, mega superpower. If you've ever been to Egypt, and some of you have, the very the very things that they built, many of them are still standing as they stood. And inside those pyramids, years ago, years and years ago, I took a group to Israel, and we went on to Egypt. And back then, I was small enough I could crawl up in those, uh, into those hallways that take the inner parts of a, of an Egyptian pyramid. And the blues and the golds that they painted on those walls, they'd use mirrors. To reflect the light from the outside to get all the way up into there, because if you used a lamp, the soot would cause the wall to have black places. So they figured out a way to use sunlight refracting on mirrors to get it all the way down the belly of a pyramid where they could paint the royal blues and golds and bright colors of the inside of that pyramid. I was in one that's 5,000 years old. Moses didn't just leave a little country community. He was, he was a prince. He, he was maybe going to be one who would one day be the ruler of the Pharaoh. I mean, he grew up with all the who's who and what's what. He had slaves taken care of. I mean, he had people meeting his every need. He was trained in everything from archery to leadership to horsemanship to chariot riding to education. Acts, Acts 7.22 says he was treated to the finest education of Egypt. Some have said Moses couldn't have written the first five books of the law. They didn't even know how to write. You wouldn't even quit smoking that funny stuff. Yes, they did know how to write. Why do you think God put him in Egypt? He, Moses, you're going to have to write some books for me, son. We've got to get you literate. And once we get you literate and learn how to write, you're going to write the word of the living God. So, so this young man grew up with all the privilege and all the education and all the things that he needed. And from the world's perspective, he left all of that wealth and all of that power and all of that expansive opportunity to be identified with people that were not just illegal immigrants, they were imported slaves. They had no rights. If the world looked at this story and read it, they'd say, that guy was an idiot, certainly by today's values. He lived on good street for life, and he left all that to be identified with slaves? That guy was a nut. What kind of promise did he have of any investments? He'd never have a big house. He'd never have a nice car. He'd never live with the charioteers. He'd never go to the banquets. He'd never be in the who's who. He'd never make it to the college uh, campuses. He'd never be asked to speak. That guy's an idiot leaving the house of Pharaoh for a bunch of Hebrew slaves, poor, dirty, smelly, refuse that we brought in from a kingdom that couldn't even defend itself. Has that guy been out in the sun too long? What an idiot from the world's perspective. I find it interesting, even mo- though Moses was smart enough and wise enough to choose Israel, Israel didn't immediately choose Moses. H- here's something in second hour, I'm going to really hammer this, because we've got a lot of young people there, but it's true even in this generation. See, sometimes if we know that God's led us and we made the choice, if it starts getting difficult, we start second-guessing, well, maybe this wasn't what I was supposed to do. It's just so hard. It sure, I don't think it'd be this hard if God was in it. I, I, must have, I must have made a wrong choice. I should have gone the other way. This was just my flesh. I just was arrogant and thought I could do this. I, I don't know what I was thinking. It wouldn't be this hard if God was in it. Who ever served God that found it terribly easy? The minute Moses said, I'm going to be a, identify with the children of Israel... His very first act was murder. That's not wise on his part. But he thought, sure, if I show them I'm with them, and I get that taskmaster off this guy's back, rumor will spread. Boy, that prince of Egypt, that Moses, he's one of us. He took that guy out, buried him in the sand. And the next day when he's walking among the troops, they said, who are you that you've come to judge over? us? you going to kill me like you killed that taskmaster? He wasn't a hero. He was a scary dude. Why are you here? It didn't get better when he took them across the Red Sea. The minute they got the Red Sea, they started murmuring against Moses. And no sooner they got across, Moses, why you brought us out here to die? Not enough graves in Egypt, now we got to die in the wilderness? Sure miss those cucumber sandwiches. That's noble. If you're going to long for something, let it be cucumbers. Amen, amen. Listen, they grumbled about Moses from the time he identified with them and said, "We're." Mo- God has told me to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and everything he did it got harder on them. Take away the straw, raise the quota. They want to go on a sightseeing tour, they got too much time to dream. Did you ever follow God and it got harder for it? Got good? And you begin to say, I don't know. You see all these green seats that are empty? That's people who somehow thought they got a ticket to Easy Street. And when it wasn't easy, once they followed God, they said, well, it didn't work for me. No, it didn't fail you. You failed to let it work, let God work in you. Nobody ever says it's going to be easy. If we, we don't do it, don't, you don't have to leave, we're not going to make you nervous. But if we start over here and went around the room and just took, I mean, 30 seconds each, tell me one hardship that just about wrecked your boat in life. Some you say, can I only tell one? Am I limited to one? Why are you here? Because you chose to focus on God more than the events of the journey. Well, the people questioned Moses' motives. They gave him grief every step of the way. But I want you to look at what it says in Hebrews 11, real quickly, because this sums up his life. Again, we don't have time to study his life. We'd read from Genesis to end of Deuteronomy. That's five books of the Bible. I'm grateful for the Cliff Note version in Hebrews. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11. Look with me beginning in verse 23, this hall of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 23. Hebrews 11:23. 23. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, the word really means unusual. He, he was unique. There was something about him that that they saw really was unique from God. And because of that, they did not fear Pharaoh's edict to kill all the male babies. That's what that means. So they saw in Moses not just a mother's awe of, boy, that's such a beautiful baby. They saw in him something remarkable. And because it was so remarkable, they, they lost by comparison their fear of Pharaoh to do what they did. So verse 24, by faith Moses, when he'd grown up, when he became a man, Now look at this strong word, he refused. It's not he decided. This is a strong resistance. There's something pulling at him. And the more it pulled, he said, no, no, no. There's a refusal. There's a a willful, volitional choice. He refused. Look at this. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose. Now, Now that's two strong words. He refused and he made a clear choice, a vivid choice, the choice to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short lived pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach a refusal and reproach. He considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah. Now, this is 2,000 years or, excuse me, 1,400 years BC. So, 30, uh, 1,400 years before Jesus would be born. He considered the reproach for the sake of the one who would be Messiah to be greater wealth then one who considered all the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward by faith he left Egypt behind he refused he reproached and he left he left Egypt behind not being afraid of the king's anger for he persevered what was the secret as one who sees him who is invisible I want us to think about that refusal in order to take an acceptance. Moses refused to live in sin for a season. The word refuse means there's a strong pull. Anybody here want to give your testimony? What is it from the world that just keeps pulling you back? It says, I would be a stronger Christian, but I, I really deal with anger. I'd be a stronger Christian, but boy, I just I love to gossip. I, I'd be a good Christian, but, but i tell you, I, I, just, I, I just don't want to have to study and read Scripture. I, just, I, don't, I don't do that. I'd be a better Christian if I could just do prayer, but I just don't get into prayer. I'd be a stronger Christian if I could give up these addictions. I'd be a better Christian if I wasn't hooked on porn. I, I'd be a better Christian if I wasn't tempted to steal. I mean, what's yours? And for most of us, it's a constant battle in some zone that you say, I'm going to have to make a willful renunciation. I refuse. If you're honest, you had to make several refusals yesterday because your flesh was pulling to do one thing. You said, No. For many, it's as simple as something we choose to eat or not eat. For some, it's as simple as where you choose to go for a movie or as simple as what you're going to do to get ready for a Sunday. I I refuse to do that because if I do that, I won't be ready to meet the Lord in worship. See, there comes a point where there's a refusal. It means something's pulling at you hard, and the pull of the world is extremely hard. Why? I don't know what heaven looks like. I can't see clearly the face of Jesus with the eyes of my flesh. I don't know the splendor of an angel. I can't imagine the throng singing, holy, holy. I've heard about it, read about it, imagine it, but I've never seen it. I have seen the world. And the truth is, in my flesh, temptation always gratifies my flesh. But here's what I've found. When I yield to temptation, it's, it's pleasure, uh, pleasurable for a moment. And then this guilt sets in. Of, Why did I do that? That is so stupid. Why, why did I fall for that again? That is so dumb. See, sin always is alluring because it's a facade. And the minute you reach out and grasp it, you've got nothing but sand. Moses is smarter than most of us. Moses said, listen, I, 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 I know it's not easy to walk away. And I may be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And I've seen all the wealth and the gold and the pomp and the circumstance and the flowing wine and the big banquets. I've been at the great races of the charioteers, and I've seen all the wealth of the pyramids and all the gold a man could wear on his arms, and it's a facade. Have you ever noticed people, and listen, please don't misunderstand me here. There's nothing wrong with wealth as long as it's wealth used for God's glory, but have you ever noticed people that all they want is money? All they want is money. Have you noticed that they're never satisfied because they always just need a little bit more? Just a little bit more. just a little. I don't care what you're addicted to. If it's alcohol, you just want just something a little bit stronger. If it's drugs, I just need something a little bit stronger. If it's something that you steal, I wonder if I could get away if I got into that. Maybe I could get that. I've been so, so successful up till now. See, whatever it is you want in your flesh, you can justify, well, maybe I could do just a little bit more. That's the problem with Moses. He said, I've seen the more and I've seen the less, and it's empty in Egypt. And then there's always those voices pulling at you. You know, you don't have to leave what you're doing. See, there, there, there's, there's a conflict. God always said when he says, follow me, he says, leave what you're doing. Leave your nets. Matthew, leave your tax collecting booth. Lazarus, leave those garb, garbs of the grave. Come follow me. You've got to leave where you are if you're going with God. And there are people, they say, I don't want to leave. I believe I, I believe I'd have a lot more influence right where I am. Wrong, unless God puts you where you are. Now, now listen to me. You don't think there was a pull on Moses? I, you know, Moses, you shouldn't leave your position. Where you'd have a whole lot more clout as a prince of Egypt to help the poor and the indigent and help those slaves. You'd have a lot more clout as a prince than you're ever going to have if you renounce all this and just go down there and identify with them. That's not smart. I'm sure glad he didn't listen to the press of friends that were of the world. See, the truth is, there's always that poor Moses had to choose. You can't be in Pharaoh's court and be pro-slave. And you can't be pro-slave and be in Pharaoh's court. If you're going to identify with slaves, you, you're going to be a slave. You, you're going to smell like them, walk like them, work with them, live amongst them. You can't serve two. Well, couldn't I be in the house of Pharaoh and just kind of make a weekly trip? Yeah, but then you're not serving. You're just going down to give an appeasement. You're going to give a little donation. You're, you're going to make you feel better. I, I made a trip down to the slave quarters. Can I tell you all about being in slave quarters? See, it's all about then what I did. I said, I'm not interested in accolades. I'm not interested in trying to have one foot in two kingdoms. He says, I renounce. Did you see that? I I renounce. I, I renounce that, that. That's a strong word. I came to the point where I declared I will not keep going with the comforts and the appeal of Pharaoh's house. I really can't fully appreciate his. I can't fully appreciate his decision because I never got to live in a palace. In fact, occasionally Janine and I've gone places, different trips and all, and they'll say, "Well, you really got to go to this place. It's just absolutely immaculate. It's where the well-to-do, you know, they go on vacation, and you just need to go see it." I see it, and, and I'm going to just be real life, and, and listen, there's nothing wrong with people. There are people in this church got enormous wealth, so that's not my problem, but that's not who I am. I was reading a pastorium, you know what that is, church-owned house. My mama was a grand cook, but we didn't have caviar. We had cornbread, uh, brown beans. Ham hock, speak to me. Can we just talk country cooking and leave Moses in Egypt? You know what I'm saying. So when I go to those places and it's all these... You know, well-to-do dress to help people, and the inside of the lobby is spectacular. And and you see all these people. I've seen people come out in shorts and and, and no socks on their shoes and a t-shirt. And I think you, you what you pay Vespa, what I got on, and I got on long britches, You you know. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable. I, I I'm not taking a shot. At I'm telling you, this is my testimony. I don't feel comfortable there. Now you take me down here to a diner. <laughs> I'll stay for a long time with you. That's my people. You know what Moses said? Every day I'm in Egypt, I'm just not comfortable. This isn't who my mama told me. You don't think Jochebed always was teaching Moses all those years she was nursing him. You don't think she was filling his mind with, son, here's who you are. You're a stranger here. You're in this palace, but you're not of this palace. You're serving here for a season, but these are not your people. You don't think that mama's influence had a tremendous influence on that boy? Old enough that when he grew up, he renounced. See, the truth is, there comes a time when you have to say, that's not who I am. I can't fully imagine going to identify with slaves. handful of times, you've allowed me to go some pretty fascinating and I'll I'll say it's sad places in the world. As you go to a village in India, I can't describe to you how poor those people are. And we go in and spend an hour and tell a story and sing with them and hug the children and get photos and love on them. But then we leave and we're going somewhere much better even for the night than they'll ever go in a lifetime. I can't fully imagine identifying for 50, 60, 70 years of my life and say, I'm leaving first broken era and I'm going to to the village of India and you won't see me again, that's what Moses did, he said, I'm going to leave all of this to go be with those people that carry us water and bricks, those are my people. Wow. The truth is, if you and I are not careful, see if we're not careful, we become so enamored with this that we don't want to go out from here. I was reading not too long ago an article. You know the story. You've read it in your own lifetime somewhere. But in places like Yellowstone, they finally had to really clamp down I and mean, really, really clamp down on guests coming through because for season parks like that, they have wild bears. The bears realize if we just go down to the cars, the cars roll down the wind and feed us, and we don't have to go look for food. And so the park rangers realize we got to stop that because they're going to become so anti-hunting. Bears, they're going to starve to death. And so they stopped the tourists from feeding them and they picked up the bears that had been most often there and took the bears to a remote part of the park where they'd have to forage for food and some of them died because they'd lost the desire to go after anything and hunt it. I fear that in the church too many of us have been inside the come for so long we've lost the passion to go out there and bring them back in and teach them how to feed on the word of God. So you can enjoy the comforts of the palace so long that we forget about the slaves that are still out there in the heat away from the promise. Problem is, the Bible says he he left, he refused to, he refused, he refused to stay in, in in the house of in the house of Pharaoh. He renounced that. He renounced being called her son. I think this is interesting, and he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. Why is sin so pleasurable? Because it's deceiving. See, no, no There's not a person here, if I said, to you know, listen, I've got a couple of things back here that I've picked up, a little bit of meth, and I know some of you just curious, and it's really not that bad, only a handful of you would take it to get addicted. But, but you know the risk is high. If you take it, you're going to get addicted, but I know some of you just adventurous. I, I'd like for some of you after church to try meth. Now, I need to warn you, police officers have told me, and, and, and sociologists told me, and doctors told me, if you take this, it's so, it's so overwhelming, you're going to become an addict. But I, I don't think you can believe all the reports. I, I think some of y'all are stronger than that, but I, w- I just want to see what it's like to see you on meth. I, I've got a little bit in the back, and I have the service. If you're willing, I want you to come take it. Now, there's a real good chance today's the last day you'll live in freedom, from here on out, you're going to be a slave to a drug, and you'll do anything you can to get it, including kill, steal, and destroy. But, but I don't think most of you believe that. So here, I brought a little bit. And if we could just have four or five volunteers, I think got enough to give maybe five dosages. And, and, and I would just see you overcome it. Now, keep in mind, maybe your last day of freedom, and the end result of meth is horrible. But, but I think you're too strong to be, to be taken in by the addiction side. I think you'll overcome. Come, come on down. After service, i got enough for five out of you. I bet there wouldn't be five that say, try it on me. You know why? Because you'd say, I don't want to risk being an addict and have my life destroyed because of one moment in time. Could I ask a question? If I ask for testimonies in the room today, has anybody here always regretted one moment in time when you chose not to renounce the things of the world and you've lived with that guilt and heaviness or the, or the pain or the results of that moment in time all of your life? See, sin always captures our thoughts and our imaginations, but it deceives us. It renders us helpless to resist its power. It sears our conscience. It elevates its importance in our mind where we say, I've just got to do that. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do it. You're prone to do it. The truth is, the call of Christ's life is for us to love God and die to ourselves. Moses' choice was, I'm willing to suffer with the children of Israel more than enjoy the pleasures of sin. Now, now keep in mind, it wasn't so much Israel he chose as Israel's God. It's what you sang at youth camp when you used to go years ago. We sing, I've decided, I've decided, sing it over and over every night. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, though the world, uh, uh, though none go with me, I still will follow. Could you sing that today in absolute purity of spirit? Moses said, I don't care if anybody goes, I'm not staying with the Pharaoh's daughter. What did he choose? He chose weakness over might, poverty over wealth, rejection over reigning in all of Egypt. And you know what happens when you do that? There's always risk, but there's going to be pain. I don't think any of us say, well, everybody I ever knew followed Christ didn't really suffer. That's only in Tulsa you hear that. Do you remember any of the disciples being martyrs? Do you ever remember the men of faith having horrendous struggles and suffering? And yet they served him still. 13 letters of the New Testament written by a man that was beaten with rods and whipped and shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead. He said, for me to live is Christ. I've understood from reading in recent years, this is not a true article, but it's a great fable then. It was told by Earl Shackelford, uh, who who was a tremendous explorer, and Mr. Shackelford was going to explore the Antarctic, 1914 to 17, and he put an ad in the paper, this is all they say now fable, that they can't find the ad, so therefore we must never send it. But he wrote this in an article, Men Wanted He was on his way to Antarctica in 1914. Now this was a challenge. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return is doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success, Ernest Shackleton. It's said that thousands lined up at the door of the office to say, I want a shot at that. That's what you call renouncing your comfort to embrace an ideal. I find it interesting, the reproach of Christ. He, he renounced Pharaoh's house. That, that for this generation, would be an enormous thing. Renounce all that wealth and all that prestige and all that power, but here's what he did. He, he, re, he re decided to enjoy the reproach of Christ. Now, we don't know what that is, and I'm no different from you, I don't either. We fuss if somebody won't let us talk to them about Jesus. Or we fuss if somebody says, don't bring that Bible in here. We fuss if somebody says, you can't say Merry Christmas. We all, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, we're just being, we're an annoyance. Persecution is when they take your children out and say, are you gonna renounce Christ or are you are gonna watch them die at our hands? It's when a wife and a husband are in a house and the wife's taken outside and done horrible things too by men and then the man has to watch and then they hold the wife and say, do you believe your husband renounced Christ now, or do you want to watch him beheaded? That's persecution. The Bible says he renounced he renounced Pharaoh's house to embrace the reproach of Christ, to embrace the reproach of Christ, the fellowship. Paul said, I, I want to know him, not, not I'm not sure I'm a Christian, I, I want to know him fully, but I've realized I can't know him fully if I don't experience the fellowship of his suffering that I may be conformed to his death. I think it's interesting. Jesus it said of him in Hebrews 11, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Not, not for the joy of the cross. The cross was horrible. He even prayed, let this cup pass from me. It was horrible. But He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the reproach of the world. He renounced the things of the world in order that he might receive the goodness of God's glory. I think it's interesting Moses looked ahead to his reward. That reward was not earthly success. It doesn't say somewhere. Moses knew if he could just make the land of promise, he would be so rich because there was gold in them, our hills, and he was just going to load up and he would die with all the promises and drive a gold chariot, and he's going to have it made in the shade. That's not the reward. He renounced Pharaoh's house, the reproach of Pharaoh's, uh, he renounced Pharaoh's house, to walk in the reproach of the sufferings of Christ. And what did he get? The joy that comes from an obedient heart, knowing today, regardless what happens to me, I've obeyed my Heavenly Father. Some of you know what that's like. Not, not because you got great gain, not, not because you didn't have great gain when you became a Christian. Some of you know what it is, and if not you, there have been people who, in the moment a son trusted Christ, the father that had great will said, if you're going to be a Christian, I write you off from everything you could have had as a threat. And the boy said, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. You know what Moses got? A bunch of slaves that didn't even like him. Forty years in the wilderness, hearing them grumble and complain. Manna every morning and dove one time on a feast that made them so sick, they threw it up so it was coming out their noses. What did he get? He watched them when he was in his most earnest prayer time, calling on God for 40 days, and God gave him the law of the nation. They had gone to debauchery and gone to idolatry. And when he came down, he saw them doing every form of iniquity. And he said, that's what I... That's the people I said I wanted to serve right there. That's them. He saw them become so rebellious when they had a chance to see the land of promise. Only two of the spies said, I think we can take it. And so Moses then would walk 40 years in a journey that would have taken 10 days direct route. And for 40 years, he had two million funerals in the wilderness. What did he get for his choice? And 40 years came the end of time. And you know what God did? For his choice. Moses, because you became so arrogant that you struck the rock and said, Must we give you water? You forgot that I am your supply. You'll not go into the land of promise. What? 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years with these people in the wilderness, and you're not giving me a ticket? What? I'm glad he wasn't a typical. Christ follower, there had been some bitternesses, but he said, here's what I'm going to let you do, Moses. I'm going to take you up to the top of Mount Pisgah, and I'm going to give you a chance to view the land in a panoramic vision. What you read in scripture, he saw is far greater, far greater expanse than human eyes could possibly see. So he said, Moses, when I take you up on my mountain, you may not walk in, but you're going to see it, and you're going to see it in all of its expanse. And then you'll never be buried by the people. Why? Because they, they would so revere, they would so make a temple, they would so build up your death site, they get to worshiping your death site more than the God you serve. So I'm not going to let you have a funeral, Moses. One day I'm just going to bring you on up here with me, and I'll take care of your burial we don't know where Moses was buried. God took care of it. So, so, so what did he get? I renounced all the wealth of Egypt. And what did he get? Dirt and sand and dust and murmuring and grumbling. And 40 years of wandering and 2 million funerals. And lots of bread on the ground. And at the end of the journey, he didn't even get a ticket in. Don't think he didn't go into the land of promise. He did walk there, you know. Well, he stood there. Because it says in the New Testament, in the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was there. And his face became like the sun and his light, his clothes whiter than fuller soap could make them. And standing on this side was the man who never got to go in with Israel, but he was sure standing there with Jesus. <laughs> here was Moses, chief of the law, Elijah, chief of the prophets. And notice Moses didn't say, can we build three tabernacles and stay here? Uh-uh. I think by that point he was saying, I'm glad to finally just let my feet touch here, but when are we going home? I'm ready. What'd he get? All the blessing of God Almighty forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever without end. He may renounce Pharaoh's house. I've been to Pharaoh's kingdom. Can I just tell you, those pyramids are just dirty and dusty. That Sphinx doesn't even have a face. Those statues were painted so beautifully are now sandblasted by the sand and they're just plain dusty. He left all that. Can I tell you what he got? A city that lies four square. It has twelve gates and every gate is a gate of pearl. And the Bible says it has twelve foundations. And the Bible says that the gate is open to all who are his, and there's no night there, for the Lamb is the light. And it says, flowing down the, down the central street of the city, the great street of the city, from the throne of God, is the crystal-flowing river of water of life. And there is the tree of life bearing its fruit in every season. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And the Lord says, Come. And whoever's thirsty, let him come and drink freely of the water of life. What do you get? This world's not my home. I'm only passing through. What do you get? Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the mind of man been able to imagine all that God has in store. What do you got to do to get that? Since we're compassed by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's what you got to do. You have to renounce something. Lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. you got to do something. Get up. Run with patience the race that lies before us. you got to stay focused, looking unto Jesus. Well, what if the scenery changes? No, it's not going to change. He's the author and the finisher of our faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross despising the shame I'm gonna ask some of you today to renounce something I'm gonna ask you to renounce your ties to this present world and with both arms embrace King Jesus and say I'm willing to walk away from all that is to all that can be through Christ my Lord It's a very simple step. It takes one step. It says, I'm going to make this one. And once you make that one, you find the others much easier. It's that first one that's a difficult step because it's always hard to break the bonds of the earth. But once you do, you are embraced by the hands of heaven that have said, come. I want you to stand with me, would you? Father, this morning, I believe that those in this room are ready to say, I'm tired of the world. I know the world. I know what it offers. Pharaoh knew, uh, Moses knew Pharaoh's house, and he saw the shallowness of having everything a person could want and not being happy. And he saw the people who needed so much and were miserable at the hands of those who had everything. And he said, I want to be with God's people. I'm going to be a God servant. And from the world's perspective, he didn't get a whole lot back in the world. But sure, he surely did give a lot. first five books of the Bible he wrote for us to enjoy and to learn about history. He's known as the great lawgiver, And the Ten Commandments are still the focal point of battles today. What are we going to do with the laws given by that Hebrew Pharaoh's boy who left Egypt to serve God? We still contest those laws, though they were written in stone by the finger of God. I believe there's people in the room today say, I'm ready to give it up. I'm willing to surrender everything that I have in the world. I, I, I'm tired of the emptiness of the world. I, I've never had it better never been more miserable. I want to be a man of faith, a woman of faith. I'm really willing to embrace Jesus and let him do with me whatever he sees fit. I want to know him as my Savior. I, I want to be forgiven of my sin. I, I want a new life. I, I want my name written in the Lamb's book of life forever. I, I want a place in heaven. I want to serve him knowing I'm with him every day and he's with me. I believe there's some in this room. You need to make that commitment. I'm asking you right now. You can step out now. Pastors are making that way here. We have a lady. If you prefer to talk to a lady, she'll be here in the altar. Ladies, if you want to talk to a lady, you come. Maybe other decisions, baptism, church, membership, surrender to ministry. I don't know what it is. But the number one plea, are you ready to give up the things of this world to embrace your heavenly father? He's got his hands outstretched to you. He's been seeking you. He brought you here today to find him. Will you come today to Christ? Will you do it? Father, speak to hearts and draw them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come right now while we sing. Won't you do it? Come.